Hey yo everyone, welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 144 through 146, which will be covering manga chapters 218 to 224, as well as a portion of chapter 233. So yes, we are finally back to the canon material. And this marks the beginning of the new saga slash arc, the Skypiea saga, or arc. Some people like to call this the Sky Island saga because it includes the Jaya arc. But I often refer to it just as the Skypiea saga. So that's what I'm just going to call it. But yeah, we get a lot of really funny and also intriguing developments for the wider world of One Piece happening in just these three episodes. So yeah, I can't wait to dive right into them. Starting off with the synopsis, continuing on with the journey, the Straw Hats suddenly encounter a massive pirate ship falling from the sky, which lead them to some clues about a possible island in the sky. With the log post now pointing straight up, they have a new destination to get to the sky, but they need to figure out how to get there by salvaging the sunken ship that just fell and go on a recon trip to the island of Jaya. Along the way, they run into a salvage crew captained by a monkey man named Mashira, who later claim to the sunken ship. The story also takes a side trip to catch up with Buggy and his crew as they run into Ace for a sort of a party. <laughs> Alrighty, so differences. These episodes are for the most part uh, faithfully adapted aside from a few minor things. Obviously there are a couple quick references at the beginning of the episode talking about the filler adventure they just had which was the Rainbow Mist filler. But the more, I guess, significant while there wasn't really any changes there's obviously there's this big section of the story that's been rearranged so they inserted the buggy and ace side story which doesn't actually take place here but not until after they're almost ready to leave jaya actually so it's been pushed up considerably and i think the reason why they moved this around was because they wanted to not they didn't have enough material to dedicate this and a significant section of where this actually takes place because it's all this sort of bigger wider world building but they wanted to make sure that they could fit half of that into that half episode and you'll understand what I'm talking about when we get to that episode but this story is not big enough to fill another half of an episode so I think this is why they moved it up but it's kind of weird uh, you know that this is just inserted right there and it, it really doesn't make much sense but it really doesn't make too much of a difference so It's all right. All righty, moving on to my thoughts on these episodes. So coming back from the fillers, we pick up where we would have right after Robin had joined the crew in the canon material. But in the anime, this is just after the Rainbow Mist adventure arc. So out of nowhere, a giant galleon ship starts raining down from the sky. And easily the best moment during this craziness is Usopp trying to relax while wishing away the chaos and the scary stuff around him, only to open his eyes and have this skeleton just in his face. And then suddenly in the background, you can hear him throwing it at Nami and then Nami freaking out. <laughs> It's so funny. Because you don't actually get to see this, unfortunately, because it's a wide shot of the entire thing collapsing in on them. But, but the dialogue is just so funny. But once things calm down, they try to figure out what the hell just happened. And one thing about this scene that's important is that it immediately establishes the role that Robin would serve on the crew. Because I'll tell you, at first, when Robin joined as the archaeologist, 
I didn't know what the hell an archaeologist would do on a pirate ship, but already Robin's place on the ship becomes pretty clear. She has a lot of knowledge and can analyze many random things they come across on their adventures. In addition, she can help them survey new islands and inform the crew about possible cultures and the people of those islands. And she can also act as sort of like a forensics expert and help in figuring out mysteries and identifying things for them. So yeah, she turns out to be a really, really useful part of the crew and, and a role that I would have never expected, but yeah, she serves a pretty important one. And you can see all of this on display in like this sort of the small five minute section where she's analyzing the skull. They soon realize the log post is somehow pointing straight up and after finding a, a treasure map among the debris that fell from the galleon ship of, of an island in the sky, they learn that there's a place called Skypea. And so they decide to do a salvage mission on the ship that fell from the sky to gather some information on possibly how to get back up there. Kind of as a side tangent though, one of my favorite images is when Nami's sort of trying to rein in everybody's expectations again, saying that a lot of these time, you know, types of treasure maps are often false and like really just not even true. <laughs> and you see Chopper and Luffy and Usopp just, <laughs> they're all excited. And then as soon as Nami says that, their face just like droops down into this like sort of dark, like morbidly depressed state. <laughs> and Nami's just saying, no, 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 it's probably true. <laughs> their faces, especially in the anime, how it transforms is so funny and well done. But anyways, so as the three strongest members, the monster trio, Luffy, Zoro, and Sanji, get sent down to do the salvaging. There's another really funny bit here with Zoro and Sanji mentioning a giant sea snake like pit as they get lowered down and then Nami's like calm okay and then and then Usopp's like terrified okay is <laughs> like these episodes are just crazy funny like I love these like in between arcs type of comedy because they they're not so intense that they can actually do a lot of these like funny random jokes I've also gotta mention we get to see a bit more of Usopp's like amazing genius and technical engineering on display here as he quickly on the fly rigs up these deep sea diving suits to the point where even Luffy, a devil fruit user, can go down in which I think kind of gets glossed over but it's pretty amazing so yeah I just wanted to give Usopp another shout out as yeah he's pretty awesome. However, just shortly after the trio dive, we get the sudden appearance of a strange monkey-themed salvage ship captained by Mashira, or Mashira. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that in English. It's Mashira in, in Japanese, so I'm just going to keep calling him that. And so yeah, he looks like a big ape slash monkey. So now we have confirmation of a race of monkey people in one piece. <laughs> Although, I will say, it's later revealed that these guys are human but really weird looking monkeys, but I have a hard time believing that. Anyways, I may go into that more in the spoiler section. But yeah, my show is pretty, pretty funny in the brief appearance he has here, especially all the monkey puns that he throws out. And also, fun fact, so this whole monkey salvage theme is actually another Japanese play on words. Is you know, in Japanese, monkey is pronounced saru. And so when you say salvage in, in its Japanese sort of form, it's called saruveji. And so you get that saru veji, like that beginning, uh, the prefix. And so the first part's got the word saru in it. So saru and saru, so they get monkey salvage. Hence the monkey theming around the ship and the character of Mashira. But yeah, anyways. Uh, the rest of the episode sees them exploring the ship while Nami and the others try to keep Mashira from figuring out that they're also there to salvage the ship themselves. 
However, while they start off as kind of adversarial, just as Luffy and Mashira are getting friendly, a giant-sized turtle comes up out of nowhere and eats the ship as it's being pulled up, with Luffy, Zoro, Sanji, and Mashira all still inside, and chalking it up to, well, that's the grand line for you. <laughs> also, when the ship gets eaten by that giant turtle, we get to see one of uh, Robin's defining character quirks starting to show up <laughs> as she kind of frankly starts stating very dark and morbid assessments of the situation at hand. And this will be a very funny and defining trait of Robin. <laughs> and Usopp always reacting to these is, is just pure comedy gold. <laughs> From there, though, we get one of the craziest reveals in the series thus far. In a very Phantom Menace-esque moment from Star Wars, just as Qui-Gon states towards the beginning of that movie, there's always a bigger fish which is perfectly exemplified here as the sky goes dark suddenly and the giant turtle now has its mouth agape due to it seeing these massive shadows in the fog in the distance. And they're so big in fact, and interestingly enough, they decide to use CGI here to composite the hand-drawn elements to be able to pull the camera back far enough in one camera shot to maintain that sense of scale. And I remember seeing this for the first time and thinking, what the hell are those things? I mean, these shadows are absolutely massive. Like, in terms of scale in comparison to anything we've seen thus far, they're just incredible in size. Like, what the hell are these things? You know, you like to see the, the sea kings in the sea, and those things are huge. But these shadows are like 10 times bigger than that. It's insane. And I remember when these were first revealed, there was so much speculation as to what the hell these things were and how anyone would ever beat something like this, like those things. I just assumed at the time that these were going to be like some sort of like a big far off mystery that wouldn't be solved till a lot later. And so I didn't really pay too much attention to it because there was no way like any of the characters could beat something like that. And so I imagined that it was going to be held off until, you know, the crew got stronger. And it's moments like this, we get to kind of get reminded of just how crazy the Grand Line is and just sit there and reflect on that as one insane thing keeps happening after another just like kind of when they first got into the grand line in between whiskey peak and little garden and then drum you know that whole section just crazy things kept happening and now it's like amped up even more we've got like giant island sized turtles and then we have like these monsters that are even like 10 times bigger than that it's just yeah one crazy thing after another and also i guess the monkey people and then kind of as a moment of levity, there's this small moment of Usopp calmly lying to Chopper that he could beat those things like it's a matter of fact. And it's pretty funny how Chopper just gullibly eats all that stuff up. <laughs> Although it turns out the stuff that the trio brought back was absolutely useless and Nami is kind of pissed at them. Robin did manage to get the eternal post for an island called Jaya off of Mushira before they booted him off the boat and I love the development of Nami's relationship with Robin as she's sort of like now relying on her to be one of these solid people in in a group of idiots also kind of randomly I just have to mention it in the next scene you see Luffy and Usopp eating these balls um, and Luffy refers to taking the octopus that they brought back among all the junk and has Sanji make takoyaki and so takoyaki is is like a Japanese dish uh, basically fried octopus balls and so it's funny you see the octopus alive and then in the background you hear Luffy asking Sanji for takoyaki and then in the very next shot 
you see you see Usopp and Luffy eating these things. And so you're like, oh, they must have killed that poor octopus. Now, I usually hate eating octopus in any other way, but man, I love takoyaki. Like, if you ever get to go to Japan, buy yourself some takoyaki. I know it sounds gross, octopus balls, but it's pretty good. And then, like I mentioned in the differences section, we take a slight random detour in the story to catch up with Buggy and his crew of all people, which is really unexpected, but as we know from the difference section, this portion of the story, yeah, obviously was not supposed to be here. And that's why this shift seems so random and a bit out of place. The comedy surrounding this entire sequence is so random too. You'd think this was almost a filler, but it is 100% canon. And that's not a knock on this. It's actually got a lot of great world building and character development as well as really fun comedy. Now, if you're wondering why Buggy keeps coming back in the story, it's pretty well known and documented that Buggy is actually Oda's like favorite character. And so he keeps finding ways to bring him back. And so that's why we have him here again. But yeah, not only do we get a reintroduction of Buggy, in a really surprising twist, we have Ace, who somehow found his way onto Buggy's ship. I did forget to mention, though, before we get to Ace, I love the reintroduction of Buggy where they're like in a in like a mine shaft or a cave looking for some lost treasure. <laughs> but it turns out to be like just a regular mine shaft where like normal people go to work and dig and then all of a sudden buggy gets caught up in the sort of the momentum of all the workers and and moji kabaji and buggy start start digging like oh look at all this work we're doing it feels good <laughs> and then they realize what the hell they're doing and then they pull up the mine shaft it's just so random but I love it. I love this type of like absurdist humor. But yeah, getting back to Ace, I'll be honest, this was one of the last things I expected to see here. And I was wondering how we would see Ace again, I, but I didn't think we'd see him again so soon. But it's welcomed as Ace is a cool character and he's really funny too. We get more information and development of Whitebeard and the surprise revelation that Bl Buggy has actually met Whitebeard. So... You know, it's kind of expanding on Buggy's sort of legendary status as like not, you know, it's funny because you think of him as sort of being weak because he was one of Luffy's earliest opponents. But we now know he's got a connection to Roger, Shanks and Whitebeard now. So he's like been around like these really strong pirates in the past. And you start to wonder, what is Buggy like? What is his past really? And it starts to get really intriguing when you start connecting like a lot of the dots. But yeah, I love the fact that we we see the, the joke where Ace is kind of an insomniac, especially when he's sort of eating or just sitting there. But then we get an interesting scene where the others want to take Ace out and maybe get a bounty for him. But Buggy is adamant about not messing with anybody from Whitebeard, as he knows from personal experience, I guess, that if you mess with Whitebeard's guys, then you're going to have like hell rain down on you. And he's so scared of Whitebeard that he's not even willing to touch Ace. Which is pretty effective character and world building as we now start to get a sense of like what the hierarchy in, in, in the terms of like the pirate world is. And you have like somebody who's as unscrupulous as Buggy willing to not even harm Ace because of how scared he is of Whitebeard's power. And so now we've got Whitebeard built up to this like immense level of notoriety and you just can't wait to see what Whitebeard is like. 
Getting back to the Straw Hats, though, we arrive at a town called Mock Town on the island of Jaya. That's essentially like a pirate haven, kind of like Tortuga in Pirates of the Caribbean, if you've ever seen any of those movies. It's an island dedicated to serving and being like a rest stop for pirates and like outlaws, basically. And this is where things get really interesting as we're introduced one after another to some crazy dangerous like, seeming characters getting a glimpse of the possible threats that they all pose. Like a sniper that can shoot birds with pinpoint accuracy from like an unreal distance away. As well as some sort of a wrestler looking guy just psychotically picking fights with anyone and everyone. And then there's this creepy looking sickly doctor. But the main one we're first really introduced to is Bellamy, who we will learn more about in a little bit. So Zoro and Luffy decide to venture out into town to gather info on the Sky Island, while Nami fearing that they're gonna cause trouble because if it's just them two, they almost certainly will, decides to reluctantly join them to keep them out of trouble. On the way, they run into some random sickly looking guy and they help him up onto his horse, but then funnily enough, his horse collapses and so they have to pull up the horse too but as a reward he offers Luffy an apple and Zoro obviously says don't eat them but Luffy already ate one and then all of a sudden an explosion happens in the background saying that another person got an apple from this guy and it exploded (laughs) and Luffy's already right there munching on his but luckily the one that he got was a dud and so they just kind of go on their way. I mean, the comedy in this entire section is pretty funny. Like, while they were floating towards the the island, you saw you saw Usopp, Nami, and Chopper just freaking out at seeing all this like danger and like all these dangerous people. And then, in addition, once they're in town, Luffy and Zoro just walking around interacting with the people, as well as like when someone challenges them, (laughs) Luffy and and Zoro are just like, huh. And Nami's like, don't, don't get involved. And it's just, yeah, it's so funny. Eventually, Zoro, Luffy, and Nami, they make it to a part of town with where this sort of resort or like hotel resort or something. And they run into this guy named Circus, one of Bellamy's underlings. Now, I know in the subtitles, it's like pronounced Sakis. I mean, that's how you say it in Japanese, but I'm pretty sure... I mean, that's how you say circus in Japanese, so I'm just going to call him circus. But yeah, he is one of Bellamy's underlings, and he is super irritating with how arrogant and condescending he is, along with the rest of the crew, including Bellamy himself, as we'll get to see later on in the episode, as well as the next few episodes to come. This is easily one of the most irritating crews we've met thus far. Seeing these guys always gets my blood boiling because their arrogance and cocky attitude is so completely unwarranted. And we know that they're easily inferior to Zoro, let alone Luffy. And so just seeing them be so cocky and arrogant, it's just, it's annoying. But I mean, that's, that was the goal that Oda was going for. So kudos to him. But yeah, these guys, you just want to punch their faces so badly. I think one of the fun parts, though, is that they, no one on the island have received the updated bounty posters. And even Luffy and Zoro and all the crew themselves don't know the, of the updated bounties. So they all think he's still only worth 30 million berries and that Zoro doesn't even have a bounty. So they completely underestimate them making their eventual clash really anticipated. But before that, we run into another interesting character in the bar as Luffy gets into a weird, hilarious dick-measuring contest with this huge dude sitting at the bar. 
And this encounter is pretty funny, as this guy is very similar to Luffy, yet also very opposite from him in the literal sense, as Oda goes out of his way to highlight how their tastes are almost exact opposite, as well as their character designs. You know, you see Luffy as this like really tiny and scrawny character, obviously, but then you have this weird guy at the bar who's this like massive hulking guy with like really thick body and like a very deep voice. And so you have their their sort of tastes and foods being opposite as well as just their stature. It's just a complete difference to each other. But yeah, with the way Oda goes out of his way to highlight all this, we'll have to wait to see how he fits that all into the story. Because you kind of get the sense this is kind of an important moment. Otherwise, why take the moment to actually highlight this really intense dick measuring contest, you know? Because it takes a significant portion of the episode. Oh, well, I guess significant is a bit of an overall. I mean, it only lasts like about five minutes, but still, it's it's takes up a decent amount of time. I think the part that gets me every time is the look Zoro and Na- Nami have when Luffy continuously ups the order of meat to the guy's cherry pie order. <laughs> it's just like, they're looking at him like, really? After the cherry pie guy leaves, Bellamy shows up and picks a fight with Luffy by slamming his face into the bar. But Nami fearing they'll have to run out of town if they start fighting, she blurts out and asks the bartender any info he has on the Sky Island. But then the entire bar erupts in this sort of mocking laughter, which embarrasses Nami to no end. Bellamy then explains in logical reasons picking apart the story of the Sky Island, why those rumors are just can be chalked up to things like the giant stream of water called the knock-up stream, sending ships up into the sky and crashing them back down and hurtling them back into the sea. And so these sailors seeing this phenomenon think, oh, there was an island up in the sky when it was really just a ship being blown up and then dropped back down. But yeah, you see here Bellamy just picking apart, you know, this sort of romantic view of the world and just kind of casting aside sort of that that adventurous feeling in the stories into something really boring and logical. And that's really the crux of this sort of mini arc in Jaya. As you'll see, the most significant thing to happen in these three episodes is right here where Bellamy condescendingly declares that the age of pirates chasing after crazy dreams is over and that those who died happy because they lived chasing their dreams were idiots. Upon hearing this, it hits Luffy a lot differently. You see a shot of his fist which was ready for a fight all of a sudden loosen and lower his guard upon hearing Bellamy say all this then lets Bellamy hit him and even though Nami has had enough and tells Luffy and Zoro that it's okay for them to take them down and fight back. Shockingly and dead serious Luffy orders Zoro not to take this fight no matter what. Now I remember when I first read this I was like Nami after this I wanted nothing more than to have Luffy and Zoro just beat the living shit out of them but I now understand why Luffy decided not to fight Bellamy here. It's always been a bit ambiguous here as to why Luffy decided to stop fighting. One could say it's to mirror what happened with Shanks and Higuma at the bar in Fusha Village at the very beginning of the story. How Shanks just kind of like laughed off all the insults and the physical assault. But I think there's more to it here. The real crux of Luffy's turn here is when Luffy hears how Bellamy thinks having dreams is stupid. And while I have the benefit of knowing what happens in the next few episodes, this idea of pirates holding on to dreams is a big theme of this Jaya arc as well as the entire series. I think upon hearing that Bellamy is a pirate that doesn't have a dream of his own, but also actively mocks anyone who does, I think this is what triggered Luffy to see that Bellamy is like like this soulless pirate 
without any pride, not worth his effort to fight someone who's just lost his sort of sense of dream and wonder and has no pride in being a pirate. And at this point, Bellamy is no longer standing there in their way, nor endangering his crew or friends. In addition, now as a man with no pride, Bellamy can't really threaten Luffy's pride either or his dream. Luffy just sees no point in fighting back and just going along with what Shanks taught him all those years ago, just decides to lower his guard. But yeah, that's pretty much where the episode ends. And so we won't get to see the conclusion of this until the next podcast. But yeah, oof, what a place to stop. You just want to see Bellamy get his just desserts for this, but Luffy knows it's not worth it. And this is a great start to a new saga and arc. And seeing the crew just hanging out a bit and creating chemistry with Robin was really great, as well as introducing us to a whole host of new characters, which was awesome. So yeah, I can't wait to talk about the rest of the Jaya arc as well as once we get to Skypiea. But yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want more updates on when I post new episodes or just to see some random pictures of One Piece. Check that out. Um, stay tuned for some spoiler discussions if you would like. But if you want to stay away from those spoilers, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to me, and I hope you have a great day. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. So yeah, spoiler section. Not really too much to talk about, aside from the big one, that we get the proper introduction of Blackbeard. So Marshall D. Teach is introduced here. Obviously, we don't get to learn that this is actually Blackbeard for like another six episodes. But yeah, I think Blackbeard here is pretty funny. And I remember when I saw this, I knew that he was going to be a significant character just the way he's portrayed, even just in this bar scene. But I had no idea that he was going to become one of the main big villains. And I think, in my personal opinion, going to be the villain of the entire series. Like, I think the way things have been set up so far is that Blackbeard is going to be the final obstacle of the series. Because just the way the both crews are composed, it just seems like that's the final clash between Blackbeard and Luffy. Like, as well as, like, just how all of Blackbeard's crew members are set up for fighting off each one of the straw hat members and so it's it's crazy to see that we see blackbeard for the first time here and we don't quite know that he's even a villain and yeah it's it's kind of funny seeing this scene as sort of like a comical scene when we know just how much pain blackbeard has caused luffy especially when it comes to ace and just seeing like where blackbeard is as this sort of unknown character and then him growing to become like a two devil fruit user, a shibukai, then a yonko. And it's just like crazy to see the evolution of Blackbeard as well as the more details we find out about his relationship to Shanks in, in sort of the Oden flashback from Wano. It's also interesting here too that Blackbeard c- kind of calls Luffy out for being a liar about his bounty. Which, at first, it's seemingly like he's implying that it's too high. But later on, it's revealed that he knew that it was too low based on sort of the ambitiousness of Luffy's sort of spirit or his dream. And it's it's funny to see that because when you just see this scene 
as it was coming out, you initially think that Blackbeard is is basically saying that's too high of a bounty for someone like Luffy, which is what everybody else in the bar thinks, as well as Bellamy. But Blackbeard is the only one who can actually see how strong Luffy would actually be. Although, when he does actually eventually see the bounty poster, he's even shocked to find out that Luffy's bounty is 100 million, which he even says that it's too high. It's it's higher than he had thought. And so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see Blackbeard's sort of growth here. And obviously, we get to see Jesus, Burgess, and then Doc Q and Augur all introduced in this episode as well. And sort of that scene, you know, we see later on in the very next episode where Zoro and Luffy kind of know that Doc Q, Jesus, and Augur are all part of, or that at least they can kind of tell that they're all together. But yeah, we'll obviously talk more about Blackbeard as the series goes on and each time he appears. And obviously he's going to appear again a few more episodes later down the line. So we'll definitely dive more into Blackbeard as we learn more. The other thing I wanted to mention too, and I know it's stated that Mashira is a human, and it's the same with Shoujo later on, that they're humans that look like monkeys, but they're clearly monkeys. I mean, Mashira even has... A tail. I can kind of get away with Shoujo being an orangutan-looking human, but Mashira has, like, fur and a tail. Like, is Mashira actually a mink? You know, I, I come to, like, wonder about that. Like, I just... I have a hard time believing that these guys are human because they look so much like monkeys. And so it's like, you know, we do... We now know that there is an actual race of beings that are animals. You know, we have the whole mink tribe... Anzo. And so it's like, you look at Mushra and think, he's kind of a mink. Like, why wouldn't he be a mink? You know, but I guess maybe he didn't have, or Oda didn't have sort of a, a story built around that yet. So <laughs> they're just humans that look like monkeys. But anyways, uh, that's like a really stupid point to, to sort of belabor on. But yeah, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about in this spoiler section. So thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.